This is a presentation of BSRN, Box Studios Radio Network. The Power Play Post Show is on the air, covering minor league hockey since 2003, and now covering the Binghamton Black Bears, with news, reactions, and in-depth interviews only heard here. And now, from the Box Studios in Kirkwood, New York, here is your host of the Power Play Post Show, Bob Howard. And welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Power Play Post Show. This is the show for October 26, 2023. Uh, this is Season 13, Episode 3, and the 388th episode of the long-running podcast that is the Power Play Post Show. I am your host, Bob Howard. Thank you very much for joining me this week. Uh, we have a great Great show for you. I'm very excited. First of all, we've got three upcoming games for the Binghamton Black Bears that we're going to talk about. Uh, that is going to be Elmira on the day of this show, um, debuting, dropping, whatever you want to call it these days. They'll be playing in Elmira against the Elmira River Sharks. And then they come home for a Friday night tilt against the Watertown Wolves. And then, of course, they will be on the road to Watertown on Saturday night and everything. We also have a great guest for you. Uh, but the Power Play Post Show is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Just search Power Play Post Show on whichever platform you listen to your podcast and subscribe. Please join the Power Play Post Show Facebook group. Go to Facebook and just search for Power Play Post Show and share any of our show posts to all your friends. Check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your Binghamton hockey information and curiosity. And on this episode of the Power Play Post Show, I am so very happy to have him on. He comes to us from the Binghamton Black Bears. He is defenseman and alternate captain, JT Walters. Great interview with JT. I'm excited for everybody to learn a lot about him. He's from San Diego, California. Uh, played, you know, prep hockey in Minnesota. Uh, went to juniors in Ontario came back to play college uh, hockey in Minnesota and then made his way to the Elmira Enforcers and uh, played in the SPHL and now is in his second year with the Binghamton Black Bears. So really excited to have alternate captain, defenseman, JT Walters on the show. He'll be up in just a little bit. So very excited about that. I think everybody's going to really enjoy that interview, to be perfectly honest. But let's talk about last week's games. Uh, there were two games that Binghamton played, and let's give a breakdown of last week's games versus the Danbury Hattricks, a home-and-home home on Friday and Saturday. So on Friday night, Binghamton loses in a shootout 3-2 to two in Danbury. And let's let's just go over the goal scoring and everything first. Um, the, the Black Bears get a goal from Josh Fletcher pretty early in the game, uh, 126 into the first rebound goal from Nikita Ivashkin's shot. So he was there, perfect position to get this uh, rebound goal. Binghamton scored on their first shot, and then 23 shots combined by both teams. Yeah, Binghamton had a one nothing lead after the first period. And this is a common thread that we've seen so far in the first three games. Binghamton outshoots their opponents in the first period um, almost two to one, uh, which is which is pretty good. They do this throughout most of the periods as well, um, basically outshooting 
the their opponents. In the second period on Friday night, the Hattricks tied the game at one in the second period with an Evan Lugo uh, goal at the 14.58 mark. And then just six seconds later, Daniel McKittrick scored for Danbury to make it a 2-1 Hattricks lead. Um, I'm not going to say that this was anybody's fault in this game um, for the six seconds. It seemed like Danbury just really was on their game within this last five minutes of the second period. But then in the third period, Thomas Ray, uh, which they are calling Razor, scored at the 15-15 mark, uh, or the 5-15 mark of the third off a great pass from Dustin Deschaux, tying the game at 2-2. Now, in this game, this this puts us here. In this game, um, Daniel Ansbury basically attacked uh, Dustin Gesso, uh, basically, you know, dropped his gloves, started punching him. Gesso, I'm going to say, he turtled. That's exactly what he did. But honestly, it took um, it took Amesbury out of the game. So Amesbury might want to call Gesso whatever he wants, right? The fans can call him whatever they want in Danbury, traitor, Whatever. But Dustin Gesso outsmarted them. He outwitted them in this because Ansbury was out of the game, and that's good for Binghamton. And uh, they went on a five-minute uh, power play, which they did not score a goal. They have not scored a power play goal yet. And that's unfortunate, but unfor- that's just the way it is uh, for Binghamton right at the moment. They are winning games, and they are staying close in games, and they're doing everything needed to do. And they haven't scored a power play goal yet. So I, I consider that something that is an opportunity that they could work on. So going into OT, there were a few chances for both teams in overtime period. But neither team could score in the five-minute extra period. I thought it was a pretty good period. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Danbury had three shots on goal. Binghamton had two shots on goal. Or maybe it was four and three. Uh, in the shootout, Danbury, Hattricks get the only goal off the stick of Daniel Mc kick trick so of course he scores a goal in the regular and of course he obviously had had a pretty good time figuring out Connor uh Mackinanima I got it right as all three skaters were not able to get the puck past the Danbury netmender uh Connor McCollum so I thought this was a really good game I thought top to bottom I thought both teams played very well this is obviously the first couple games of the season for both teams and I really thought that this was – they played this really well. And I, and I think Coach Sherwood matched up his coaching um, expertise along with Bill McCreary. I don't think Bill – now, normally I would say McCreary would have the advantage, right? He's been coaching this league for a while, so he understands how to motivate and get the best out of all of the FBHL players. And Coach Sherwood is – you know, only into his second year, uh, this will be his first full year as the head coach here in Binghamton in the FPHL. He's he's done a little coaching up in the SPHL. He's played in both leagues. So don't get me wrong. Sherwood knows this league, right? But McCreary has built systems in, for this league that has made him successful. It's the reason why they were so successful last year, regardless of what you think of the team, the fan base, or, or the arena, or whatever – Bill McCurry is a really good coach, 
at this level. He has figured out how to coach people at this level. This game was a good game. And I believe it was the best result that Binghamton could have hoped for. They got a point, and um, technically it's not a loss in regulation, and that's really good. And and it's a win for uh, the Danbury Hattricks that's not in regulation. So it's only two points versus three points. So again, best result you could have expected going in here. Now, of course, do you want to win in regulation? Of course. Do you want to win all 56 games? But it's just not going to happen. However, that brings us to the next day in Saturday in Binghamton. I also want to bring up, if you watched the the pregame, or not the pregame show, but the Tully's show with Brooks Hill and Brant Sherwood, Brooks brought up a very good point in there, and it's probably like a hidden gem that people didn't think about. After Brant Sherwood came to the team, the last half, and I've brought this up probably during the playoffs last year, when Brant Sherwood came in, the team started to play better against Danbury in Danbury. And the Friday game in Danbury is another direct result of that. And 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 uh, Brooks brought that up during his uh, interview with uh, Brant. And he is 100% correct. It was the the right thing. The, it was it was a good it was it was a good point by Brooks because I think Brent has changed the culture and the thought process, and he understands maybe the FPHL better than most people will give him credit to. And he will get to the level of McCreary when it comes to coaching in this league. Now, you may not like McCreary's coaching style because he lets the big guys get physical and take advantage of the other team's players, but it works, and it's worked in this league. So you have to give credit where credit's due. Either way, going to the game in Binghamton, right? With Danbury getting that shootout win, you think they're going to have some sort of advantage going into this game. But I think Binghamton was ready for this game a lot more so than Danbury probably even realized. So in the first period, uh, the Black Bears captain, Tyson Kirkby, opened the scoring at the 748 mark, getting a feed from Mac Lewis, putting the Black Bears up one nothing. Great play. This is one of those plays where I hope you go back and actually watch the replay of this. This is such a great – they were basically moving north to east but moving the puck east to west. And, and, and you have to understand that is the best way to – Get past defensemen. It's the one of the best ways, and I'm pretty sure they brought up a play very similar to this in the breakdown of a goal that Brooks Hill and Brant Sherwood did. This was another one of those. It might have been this play. I, maybe no, no. I think the other one was uh, had Jesse Anderson involved, but this might have been it. Either way, this was a great north to south, east to west passing. And it was a great goal by Tyson Kirkby. With Matthew Billard in the box for a high stick, the Black Bears' penalty kill was impressive. And netminder Sam Levici um, had his best glove save of the period to keep the Black Bears leading by one at the end of one period. Um, he had a really great uh Great game, in my opinion. In the second period, after a lot of sustained pressure in the second period, the uh, cowboy, Connor Smith, fired a slap shot 
from outside of the point and past Connor McCollin to put the Black Bears up by two. Uh, 2.03 later in the period, while a man down, the Hattricks got on board with a shorthanded goal from Bodan Zinchenko. Now, here's the thing I, I want to say. This was probably the – and I'm sure there were other mistakes, and Brand Sherwood could probably pick out five, six, maybe seven things that the players did. But this was the only thing. It was a power play for the Binghamton Black Bears, and there was a breakdown. And that allowed a shorthanded goal. And it's probably the only quantifiable thing that you could you could put up there and say, this resulted into something bad. And it's the first time in the first three games that we saw something to, at this level, but it's something that we've seen in the past. But if we only see this once in a game where it costs you, then it's not that bad. So... That's where I'm going to go with that, okay? I know the power play is a subject that everyone's talking about. What's going on with the power play? Well, let's be honest. Cam Yarwood is not on the power play this year. Kyle Powell is not on the power play this year. Those two guys moved the puck around and were two of the best puck-moving defensemen in this league. So you got to remember that. Regardless of the system you have in place, the umbrella, or doing something where you're rotating guys in and out a little bit more, it doesn't matter. The players on the ice aren't necessarily power play specialists. They may turn into one, but they're not that right now. And you have to remember, you can put any system you want in place, but if the players can't execute it, it's not going to matter. One of the things that I have noticed, and now I'm going off on a tangent here, is yes, when you're on the power play, regardless of the system that they have in place, whether it's the umbrella or whatever it might be, having three men down, one in the middle, and then one at the point, whatever system you have in place, if guys aren't moving, skating, if you don't see the legs moving, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to work. But it also comes down to the guys that you have. And you do not have some of those big power play specialists that you had last year. And even at the end of the year, it was moving. So whether it's Gary Ryan talking about the umbrella system, whether it's Brant and, and Brooks talking on the Tully show about the the power play not working necessarily all that well yet, it doesn't really matter. The players aren't there yet. But in first three games, having two regular season wins and having a short uh, a, a shootout loss, and you've got points in all three games, and your defense is massively improved, and I'm going to say massively improved from the previous two years, I don't think it really matters right now what they're doing on the power play. That will start to catch up. They'll get better at it, um, without a doubt. I mean, with Connor Smith, you're going to find a way to start scoring. Tyson Kirkby, you're going to find a way to start scoring. And let's be honest, Nikita Ivashkin hasn't even started yet. He hasn't even he hasn't even put any uh, he hasn't even put anything on the board yet. So when he starts putting something on the board, you're going to see the power play pick up. So give it time. Give a break. Okay, so third period of the Saturday game, 7.43 into the third period. The Hattricks' Jim Jensen was caught for a spearing penalty, a double minor, that netted the Black Bears nothing. But a few shots after the Black Bears' power play is non-existent. We already talked about that, and I don't want to go into that anymore. With 7.06 left to go, after a defensive breakdown for the Hattricks, Andrew Logar got his first goal of the uh, of the season, stole the puck, and put the Black Bears third 
uh, goal behind goaltender Connor McCollum. With 3.30 left in the third, Danbury pulled their goaltender, Connor McCollum, for an extra attacker. However, the Black Bears prevailed, not allowing another goal. Probably the best three minutes and 30 seconds the Black Bears played. I don't care that they didn't score a goal. I don't care about the goal that you know they scored and you know got you know waved off by the referees. Don't care. Best three minutes and 30 seconds they played. Why? Because I believe that they've they've scored 12 goals so far. They've allowed only six goals so far. They have a goal differential of plus six. Going into tonight's game, because you're listening to this on Thursday, I'm telling you right now, it's the best goal differential right now in the league. It's not going to last. It's not going to stay that way. It might get bigger. It might get smaller. They might become, you know, whatever. But right now, in their first three games, they have the best goal differential, right? Right now, they're the best team defensively in this league. Why? Maybe because it's a good offense. I'm not sure. So the Black Bears win in regulation 3-1 to and take the lead in the Empire Division. They're right now number one. They have two regular season, uh, regular uh, regulation wins, and they have the shootout loss. They have seven points. So my thoughts on this game. First of all, I was, I was at this game. It's the first game I've been to since March 20th of 2020, which was the final game on a Wednesday that the Devils played. And... Uh, I was back up in the press booths, uh, press booth, uh, sitting in seat number one in the press box, and everything like I used to do back in the the old days. And it it was honestly it was a great game. Listen, there was like thirty one hundred plus people there. Uh, I think it was a small attendance number, uh, which is unfortunate, but I think that'll grow as the team starts continuing to win. Maybe a, a little bit better press coverage. I only saw the Fox forty people there. Thirty four and twelve were not there. They might have covered the game, but they weren't at the game. Um, I, I thought the crowd was hot and lively when they scored goals. It was just as loud if, if there was another 900 people in there and it was 4,000. Okay? It was, it's a pretty loud environment. I think the Binghamton Black Bears fans and their fan base are just really digging this team. They dig these players. They dig this organization. And it's and, and i got to be honest with you. I'm sitting there. I sat there through some of those god-awful Devils games, and I know the players are have higher skill. I know some of those players are playing in the NHL right now. But the fans showed how much they love these Black Bears. So I just want to throw that out there that you could tell the difference between a hot Binghamton Devils crowd and a hot Binghamton Black Bears crowd, without a doubt. So let's talk about the upcoming games uh, so this is our first look at the three games in three nights. So this is the first of, I think, four times that they're going to play three games in three nights. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. First, they're going to be in Elmira and then home and home with Watertown. Um, the home game for Binghamton is obviously on Friday night. They have not played Watertown yet. It's a different team. Elmira won their last game with a shutout. That's right. So Elmira won their last game on Saturday night. I believe it was a 4 nothing shutout. And so that's that's good for Elmira, you know, because they lost to Binghamton the week before. You know, there's been issues in Elmira. I don't want to rehash everything that has gone on there. The team is owned by the league. You know, they had problems with the ice plan, but it seems like the county and the, and the league are trying to put on hockey there. And Kozlowski, Kozlowski who 
played against Binghamton the week before. He got the start on Saturday night. He gets the win. He gets the shutout. Good for Elmira. Good. Now, if you're from Elmira and you're listening to this game, or if you know somebody that's in Elmira and is listening to this game, buy an extra ticket and bring a friend. I mean, they announced 1,500, but everybody says there was less than 1,000 people that attended this game. That's sad. It's a Saturday night, Elmira. What else do you have going on? I'm sorry. Maybe maybe high school football, but do they play Saturday night games? Does Elmira Heights play Saturday night football? Don't they play the football games at 4 o'clock? Don't give me those excuses. Yeah, it's 6 o'clock start. Still, those football games are probably over by then. Get out to see hockey. Please. Ugh, I just don't get it. It just doesn't make any sense. I want Elmira to succeed no matter how many times they sit there and fall flat on their face. And you know what? Binghamton hockey has changed over the years, right? We were in the North American Hockey League. We were in the AHL. Then we went to the UHL. Then we went back to the AHL. Now we're in the FBHL, but we've always had hockey. We've always played. We've always been successful. We've always had good ownership groups. We've always had a good relationship with our freaking county, Broome County has done whatever they could in a small budget to take care of our arena. Yeah, we've complained about it here and there every once in a while. Some people will call it a dump. You know, Tom Grace from the uh, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins would call it a dump every once in a while. But guess what? It's still our arena, and Broome County's done the best that they could do. But for some reason, Chemung County just has never been able to figure this out. They need to look at their big brother, Broome County, and do the same things. Take it over. Run the arena. Right? And then find a good ownership group for the team. It's not that difficult. It really is a, you know, there's a reason why Andreas Johansson is here, right? He went from a Watertown owning that team up there, sold that team, comes down to Binghamton and brings the team here. Why? Because he saw an opportunity. He saw a, a county, uh, an arena, and, an, and a fan base that he knew that he could help be successful. He knew he could make some money here, which is okay. You're not in this business to give away seats for free. You're here to make some money, win some games, and maybe even a championship. And Elmira could do something like that. Either way, we have Elmira on Thursday nights. And the uh, you're probably listening, most of you are hopefully listening to this on Thursday before the game. Elmira won their last game four to nothing. I think it's going to be a good game, right? I still think Binghamton's speed and the way they play the game is going to topple Elmira. But it could be a very close game. So we'll have to see. Watertown, we don't know yet. We don't know who's going to be you know, the goaltenders. We don't know really much about Watertown. But I have a feeling that those will be hotly contested game. I think Binghamton could walk away with all three wins this weekend. I really do believe that they could do that. Um, but, they'd be, but it's also three games in three nights. And I talked to um, JT Walters about that. You'll hear that in the interview. We talked about that. But, you know, one of the things that he also mentioned, and I don't remember if it's in the interview or it was, you know, before we got into the interview. But I talked to him about the three games and three nights. And he's actually happy that it's a Thursday game to a Saturday because all three games are in the evening around the same time. So one of the things you got to remember with three games and three nights is the fans, is the players have to recover after a game, right? When you're out there skating and, and getting physical and you get bruises and you get you know injuries, you have to recover. And he does not like the third game being on a Sunday when it's a 3 o'clock start or a 5 o'clock start, right? Because you don't get that full 24 hours. And trust me, it makes a difference. You also have to get up. You know, you wake up and boom, you're right back at the arena because you have to get there and prepare and stuff. 
So three games, three nights this week. We'll see how everything goes down. Now, let's before we get into the interview, obviously with GT Walters, alternate captain and defenseman for the Binghamton Black Bears, let's talk a little bit about some roster changes that happened. And then what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to pull up the uh, the Fed Fed's site and pull up Binghamton's transactions. And I recommend everybody you should really look at it um, the way I look at it. You go to the Fed League site, you go to stats, and you click on transactions, and then you just select Binghamton, right? Because you can do that in one of the drop-down features, and it just gives you all the Binghamton ones. And uh, let's take a look at this, right? Because there's there's some game theory that you got to think about. Management. How do you manage players? And that's really, really, really important. And I think with my conversations I've had with Brent Sherwood, and I'm, I'm hoping to talk with him again uh, possibly next week. It may not be an interview on air, but I want to get I want to get down there and talk to Brent a little bit. Um, I've talked a little bit with him this week about a couple of the decisions. First of all, let's talk about Joseph Taylor. So Joseph Taylor was um, released. I wrote an op-ed um, on the Facebook Power Play Post Show page or group. Uh, you should check it out. If you haven't read it, please read it. I did share it out to the Binghamton Black Bears fan page uh, because I wanted to make sure a few more people read it. Because, Joe, you know, I mean, Taylor Joseph – played really well for us last year. Let's be honest. He, he really was. I mean, him and Riley McVeigh played at the different ends of the spectrums of the season, and they both had great moments, and they definitely played well. Taylor Joseph made the decision in the offseason that he was going to try to go to someone else's camp, right? So he went to another camp, and he got let go from that camp. So instead of immediately calling up and coming here, he went somewhere else. And Brant Sherwood made the decision to release him. And I totally get it. Because we were never Taylor Joseph's first choice. And I think it's important to understand that when I talked to Sherwood, Coach Sherwood, probably a month ago, two months ago, maybe even before they got into camp, definitely month, month and a half ago. He said, I have a few good goal t- goalies coming into camp. He was really excited about Connor and Sam and uh, Nolan. Nolan played good in the first game, gave up three goals. That's more of first game. I mean, there's no preseason, really. I mean, they didn't have a preseason game. Sam obviously looked really great against Danbury at home. And Connor looked good too. I mean, let's be honest. He only gave up two goals, won 65 minutes, and then had to do a shootout, right? There's three good goaltenders. They all are here right now. They signed. So it wasn't that hard of a decision. And it's not personal. It's business. This is the way it works. He did not choose Binghamton first. And, And my whole point, and I hope, People understand this, and I th- and, and I got good reactions, you know, when people read it. He didn't pick Binghamton first, and all he had to do was show up to camp, say, Coach, I'll do whatever it takes to be your number one. Be the number one this year. Win a championship with Binghamton, just like Brian Wilson did last year. Brian Wilson's paid his dues. So, 
he's up in the SP playing for Huntsville, I think. And he did it the right way, right? He he played all season last season with uh, the Danbury Hattricks, won a championship, and then he got the contract to go play for Huntsville. That's the way it works. Now, to be fair, I'm not knocking Taylor. He made this decision for himself. So he made a business decision for him. Binghamton made a business decision for them, okay? And you can look at it however you want. That's how I see it. It's a bit, It's complicated. It's messy. It's hockey business. That's the way it works. So they released him. And I can tell you right now, going into these three games, it's going to be the same rotation. Nolan Egbert's going to play first. Connor McAnanima is going to play second. And then third is going to be um, Sam uh, Levici again on Saturday night. So that's your rotation for goaltenders. Now, I don't think Binghamton's going to keep three goaltenders all season long, right? But here's the thing. If you play them for the next few weeks and you do this kind of rotation type of thing and all three look good, one of them's trade bait. And you can go get another defenseman, possibly. So we'll see. We I don't know. I, I That's my game theory in the back of my head. So Joseph Taylor's gone. Uh then let's talk about the released players. So Joe Taylor's gone. Uh, Narek A- Alec Sanin, he was released as well. We saw him in one game. Wasn't really impressed. But what's interesting is what they did to start this upcoming week is, is they put Dustin Jesso on a four-game PTO, and they did the same thing with Alexander uh, Gamatsov. He went to a four-game PTO. That got them off of the regular roster to get them down to the 19 that they needed to. Uh, Michael Mercurio, he didn't report. He was released on waivers. I think Coach was ready to, to cut ties with him as well. Okay? So uh, so we're going into this. Now, Justin Gesso, of course, he was the one that went to the four-game PTO. I think everyone was a little shocked. Remember, folks, he's not here Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday, right? He is literally a weekend warrior, uh, so to speak, because he has a full-time job. He has a job that he is very important to his family and everything, and that's just the way it's going to be with him, okay? And so I think you can do put him on a four-game PTO, and if, you know, maybe he doesn't produce, maybe he doesn't look good, and you release him. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is. I've not talked to Coach specifically about it. I just think that it was the right move for them, and I, I understand it, and it makes sense to me, okay? Um, they also did Gamansov, uh, um as a four-game PTO. So they've already blown two of the 14 – PTOs, four-game PTOs here with those two players. So we go in. We have technically two guys on PTOs. We have three goaltenders, 20 – I think that's 21 players on the roster. But it gives Coach over the next two weeks some flexibility, and he didn't have to release someone specifically and whatnot. And and I'm sure – Dustin Gesso completely understands this. Um, so that's pretty much it. That's what I've got for this week. Um, I do have, and I'm really excited, and I hope you guys really enjoy this interview. Listen, he went from San Diego 
to Minnesota, to Ontario, back to Minnesota, and then he came and started his pro career, and he's done most of his pro career here in the southern tier of New York with the Elmira Enforcers, the Binghamton Black Bears, done a little bit in the SPHL. He is our alternate captain, a stay-at-home defenseman, and uh, very excited for you guys to hear this interview, of course, with JT Walters. We'll be right back right after this with JT Walters right here on the Power Play Post Show. You're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Here is another Power Play Post Show interview exclusive with Bob Howard. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. Very excited to have this gentleman on with me. He comes to us from the Binghamton Black Bears. He is uh, one of their defensemen, and he's in his second year here with the the Black Bears and everything. He is uh, JT Walters. JT, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Um, So, JT, let's talk a little bit about it because when I look at your bio... And everything, I see that you're from San Diego, California. So let's talk a little bit about that. How long were you in San Diego as a kid? And, and uh, you know, tell me what life is like in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, they call it America's finest city, and I- I'd have to agree. Um, I grew up there. Uh, I played, like, my minor hockey in Los Angeles. <clears throat> and then um, I actually moved away and went to, like, a boarding school, prep school for all my four years of high school. So um, I played played in San Diego all the way up through band office pretty much. You got, and you did mention that uh, you played in L.A., uh, you know, and everything. So obviously the Kings have had a big influence on the Southern California area and everything. Were you a Kings fan growing up as a kid? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I played like one year at Junior Kings and then moved over to L.A. Selects, but – Definitely a Kings fan as opposed to a, a Ducks fan. <laughs> yeah, don't blame me there. I don't blame you there. Even though the Mighty Ducks logo at one point was one of the coolest logos, as silly as it was, it was one of the coolest logos in uh, in hockey and everything. What you know for for a hockey player growing up in Southern California and learning to play hockey, I, I'm guessing that other sports also played a part in you know your youth uh, sports program. Did you play any other sports? Um, I was. I was kind of a hockey all the way. Um, I had an older brother that played, and that influenced me a lot. But um, I played roller hockey growing up, which is uh, more popular out there. It's four on four. Um, And I was lucky I had a dad who uh, retired when I was pretty young and assumed that full-time hockey dad kind of role and was shuttling me around Southern California every day. So um, I was hockey out of the gate, but I did play ice and roller and uh, just had – a lot of support for my family. If you could tell some of the fans that may not know, um, what are the couple of differences between roller hockey and ice hockey? Obviously, it's not on ice. You're obviously on the, the roller roller blades. And as I told you off air, I was like, you put me on anything that's rolling, that's not got a steering wheel or something attached to it, I'm pretty much screwed. But talk a little bit about the differences between roller hockey and obviously ice hockey. 
Yeah, so rollers, um, it's four on four. There's no, like, full body contact, no, like, open ice checking. Um, there's no blue line, so that means, like, there's no offsides and no icing. It's, like, more of a puck possession game. Um, <clears throat> possess the puck as long as possible until you generate good scoring chances as opposed to flying up and down the ice um, for 60 minutes straight. So it's really, really fun to play. <clears throat> Visually watching, I think it's not – it's not quite the same. There's some some action components that are kind of missing to the to the fans, but um, it's a blast to play, and uh, it's more regionalized in terms of little pockets in the U.S. where it's really really popular. Um, and uh, this area isn't isn't really one of them, unfortunately. But yeah, there's a lot of really skilled players who grew up starting there and are playing ice and roller, and um, they play all the way through, you know, into their pro careers too. Now we we know that there are some pretty good prep uh, prep school programs out there. Massachusetts is famous for them. Minnesota, Michigan also have very good prep school programs. How did you guys get to basically Minnesota for prep school? Um, that's actually, that's actually a really good question. I uh, I was at a AAA tournament in Chicago with my LA Selects team and. Uh, well, it's just kind of fortunate enough that one, me and myself and one of my teammates, we were talked to uh, to our parents, but by um, J.P. Parisi, Zach Parisi's dad. Yeah. Um, he uh, ran the hockey program there and just, like, offered us to come out and take a look at the school and um, ended up going to Shattuck St. Mary's for all four years of high school, which was um, – really great opportunity for me and for fans that don't know uh prep school is basically it's like 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 you just mentioned it's a high school uh kids go there but they're there for a particular reason and and in your case it was to really kind of really excel at playing hockey as well yeah for sure so it's it's like a mini college almost um like you're living in dorms and stuff like that um you're on the ice every day rink on campus um a lot of guys from there go on to play at high levels. So, yeah, really, really, like I said, great opportunity for myself. What did you think you learned when you went to, you know, prep school, St. Mary's and everything? What did you learn about, you know, you as a hockey player or really you as a young adult as well? Yeah, I would say 50% of some takeaways out of that place were off ice as well. Like kind of the mantra that's, that's always hung around there is just be a good guy. Um, that's something that might have taken me a little bit longer longer to learn than it should have, but I, I think I got a handle on that one now. And then um, just the, the repetition and knowing, you know, the work that you need to put in to be successful. There's always um, somebody your age in a different state on a different team that is working every day. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to really maximize the opportunities for your career. Now walk me through this. You go from prep school hockey to play some junior hockey, and before you go back to Minnesota to play in in college in the MIAC uh, for Bethel and Gustavus. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about playing a couple years of junior hockey with the Lindsay Muskies. Yeah, um, junior hockey in Canada is what an incredible experience, right? Like, yeah, people there similar to Minnesota, but I think even more so. Like they just value the game um it was really 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 cool to experience and um wouldn't trade my time there up there for anything i played in in Lindsay, which is like an hour north of toronto and Mm -hmm. um we were really good when i was there and then i also played a year like way up north up by sudbury 
in the Northern Ontario League, and um, that was a bit of a culture shock, but again, really cool experience. Yeah, one of the things you you were telling me uh, off ice, you you live in a rural place now, Spencer Van Etten, uh in in the Spencer area here, and uh, in, in actually in Tioga County, and you're a San Diego guy. So some of these places that you've gone to, it's just not like San Diego and everything. You you mentioned culture shock, and it really is kind of like that type of thing. Was it was it hard to get used to going to some of these other places that weren't a big city like San Diego? Um, at first, like the school that I went to prep school in was, was relatively small as well. So I kind of got used to that. Um, but the one thing I realized is I could, I could probably live anywhere in Canada, the U S and, and do, do fine. You know, yeah. um, hockey's taken me to so many different areas, big cities, small towns, warm, hot, you know, you name it. And, um, yeah, as long as the hockey's there, it's, can always make it enjoyable. So you've played junior hockey, you've played collegiate hockey, and of course you played professionally. So when you get to Minnesota to then play collegiate hockey, and you, you, you go into Bethel College, what's the what's the tempo like? How how different is it to go from you know playing junior hockey and then popping into collegiate hockey? And and there's a different mindset too because junior hockey. Like they're playing to win championships, and then when you go to college, it's not necessarily oh we're here to win a championship. We're here to go to school, learn things, and then you know what I mean that type of stuff. So, how was the changeover from junior hockey into collegiate hockey? Because maybe the play is different, but also your life is different. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I would say that um, when you get to college hockey, especially Division Three NCAA hockey, yeah. Um, the biggest difference is the scheduling in terms of you play, you know, 25 games a year, maybe 30 if you make a deep postseason run. So every single one of those games is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of, like, preparation that goes into doubting your opponent, learning, you know, your team systems down to a T, but also knowing other team systems and kind of preparing for your uh, preparing for your opponent would be the biggest biggest change um but i think in terms of like tempo and the way the game changes right like if, if you're improving and, and trying to go to the next level yeah the speed is always going to pick up and stuff like that but um in division three hockey and you know i know i know coach sherwood loves his d3 guys especially his shooting guys but you can <laughs> yes. see the game is really really structured because every shift and every period every point is, is really really big and then when the season kind of opens back up, um, you know, to like a 56-game season or whatever it is, the, the play kind of follows that. What are your thoughts on the, the Suniac guys that are on this team? Uh, because Coach Sherwood does love them, and he's openly admitted that to me in interviews, and he really likes their structure and everything. What do you think of it? You obviously – being uh, the Minnesota collegiate guy, now seeing these SUNYAC guys coming in and playing. And there's a lot of them sprinkled throughout, not just the FPHL, but even the SPHL. Um, what, do you, what do you think of the, the SUNYAC guys? Because I know Binghamton University is thinking about going Division One in a couple years, and that would be skipping over even what the SUNYAC you know, level is like. So what are your thoughts on these guys? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a deep pool of talent there, right? Like, I think you'd be nuts not to use it if you're a head coach. Um, and I think it helps, like, a lot of those guys 
are going to school relatively close to home, and and a team like Binghamton might be relatively close to home. So it, it makes sense to to reach out there and kind of establish those those connections. Um, I think for the most part, if if, if you're a, a very good Division three hockey player, you know you're going to get a decent opportunity to play in the FPHL if, if you want it, and you're going to need to earn it. But there's there's a pipeline there for a reason, right? Like there's a lot of good players mm-hmm. that come out of that league and, and, and come out of those teams. And um, the one thing I'll say about where I played college hockey is most of those guys are from Minnesota. Yeah. And if you know any people from Minnesota, they don't really leave too often. So I've played, played in this league for – Shoot, maybe five, four years, five, five years, five years, <laughs> and um, I haven't come across many guys like where I played college. Um, Weebs Weaver on our team right now um, is from Minnesota, played in that conference. He's a good player, but um, most of the guys tend to tend to stay close to home, right. and um, I think this area kind of is close to home for a lot of those those good Suniac players. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, you, of course, you started your first year pro. Uh, Roanoke Rail, uh, Rail Yard Dogs, uh, the Carolina Thunderbirds, and the Elmira Enforcers. So you played 59 games that season, probably the most you played in a in, in, a, in a full season on any team and everything. Um, what was it like your first year turning pro? Was, was that also just another one of those culture shock type of things? You were like, oh, crap, I got to do things a different way. And, oh, by the way, I probably have to work a little bit too and everything. What was that first year like for you? Yeah, I would say that was the biggest leap um, coming out of college into the pro level as opposed to junior into college. Um, I think I played more games that year than actually existed in the season because I started in one league, played yep. another team whose schedule started before Elmira's. But, um, yeah, huge, huge leaps and bounds, right? Um, I think when you're when you're young like that, it's like really important just to be a sponge and kind of take, take notice of the way that older guys kind of handle themselves and approach, approach the game and approach me at the rink every day. And a hundred percent, that took me some time to, uh, to learn for sure. I think that's kind of why I bounced around a little bit. Um, getting traded to Elmira that year was, was a blessing for me. I was able to learn a lot and, and play a lot and, Every year that I played there, we had really good teams that made deep postseason runs. So, um, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't have it any other way. But there's definitely an adjustment in terms of, like, how you approach um, every day at the rig. Yeah, you, ha- you actually uh, played for uh, Coach uh, Brett Clark. Um, that year in uh, in Elmira, and of course you had Mafuse, who was like one of the top scorers in the FPHL on that team. Brendan Hussey was on that team. Um, trying to look, Kyle Stevens was on that team. Um, so y- you had a lot of guys to kind of like feed off of, and uh, and uh, you know maybe you know get some of that information that you wouldn't normally have gotten. And everything. Um, what did you kind of learn that first year from even head coach Brett Clark? Yeah, Clarky's um, a heck of a recruiter in terms of like assembling talent. I'll always kind of tip my cap to him for that. Um, we kind of narrowly missed the, the championship with Elmira, and I know he's won <clears throat> multiple other championships in this league. So he uh, he knows how to assemble a team. But I learned um, I learned a lot. I would say like probably my biggest mentor that year was um, Glenn Patterson. Yeah, really good defenseman in this league. He now uh, runs the 
the junior A team that's based out of Elmira. So um, just being able to go to the rink every day and put in a little little bit extra here and there just to kind of solidify yourself and make sure you're staying in the lineup um, as opposed to just clock it in and clock it out for that hour of practice. Now, of course, you played a couple years in Elmira, and then after that um, uh, also played a little bit more in the SPHO with the Evanston Thunderbolts. Let me ask you this question. I've asked this to a couple people, even uh, Tyson Kirkby, who's also been on the show, um, about playing in the SPHL and the FPHL. Both are considered single A. Some will say that the level of play is a little bit higher in the SP than the FP, pays probably a little bit better, that type of stuff. What are your takeaways about the differences between the two leagues? Because some people are now saying, oh, it's a lot closer than it was maybe five years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would agree with that last take. I think this league gets better and better every year. Um, I think if you watch the game tape from, you know, maybe this opening weekend compared to opening weekend four or five years ago, it'd be, it'd be night and day. Um, in the SV... Generally, yeah, the pay, pay structure can be can be a little bit better. Right. Um, I know in the federal league, if you're a first year guy, you kind of got to put your dues in sometimes. Um, you're getting peanuts, basically, know. right? Peanuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends. Yeah, it depends. That's kind of um, that's what we all sign up for. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, but yeah, I think that gap kind of narrows every year, and then you know, there, there's outliers as well, right? Like there could be years where. There's a really, really talented, well-ran federal team that could probably hang with most of those teams, and then there might be years where, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's a uh, an SP team that doesn't quite have it all together. So, you, um, I, I also think like the the federal is, has a lot more parity um, in this year compared to every other year. So, sure, if you look around the league right now, there's really good players that are getting released from teams and. All the scores we've seen so far have been really competitive, and I think that's like a big step in the right direction for the league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you've you obviously played um, half of the season last year with Binghamton, and, and of course this year um, you're starting off and everything. Coming to Binghamton, it, it was uh, in the American Hockey League for many, many years, the UHL for like five years, and it was part of the slap shot era with, the, with you know, that – that kind of started that whole slap shot kind of era of hockey and everything with the dusters. What is it like coming to a city? Did you know, okay, I know you played with Elmira for a few years, so obviously you've heard of Binghamton, New York and everything, but talk a little bit about Binghamton. Did you know anything about Binghamton before you even got to this area, you know, with the, the senators and the Rangers that were here, the whalers and the dusters, was there any, you know, is that, is that something, I mean, obviously you're from San Diego, so maybe it's not even on your guys' radar about hockey in the Southern tier. Yeah, no, I think that the, um, you know, you grow up a fan, a student of the game, it's, it's pretty hard to not pay attention to the AHL level. So yeah. my knowledge would kind of relate to those times and, and, Honestly, not, nothing before that, I would say. But, yeah, I mean, it's known as an, an AHL town, you know, my whole life. Um, and um, when I came back to the area, to the Southern Tier, I I was a free agent and wasn't necessarily sure what team I was going to play for, whether it be Binghamton or Elmira. Um, mm-hmm. I actually went to a game, like the home opener last year. Oh, okay. Just as, as a fan, some of the guys left me tickets. And, um the second I saw kind of that arena rock and I knew that 
that was where um, I wanted to play. You know what I mean? No brainer on that. Now, I'm not trying to pat Binghamton on its back and everything, even though I'm from here. And, you know, my my show's always been located out of Binghamton, even though we've covered the American Hockey League in the past for many, many years and everything. Um, the whole league and had, you know, people on from all across the country. But let me ask you this question. You, you, you come here, you sit down, you watch a game. Um, I'm guessing guys like Cam Yerwood probably left you tickets and everything because that would make sense because obviously teammate in Elmira, at least the first couple years and everything. But... You know, you, you see this arena that was really kind of modeled for the American Hockey League and everything and, and played here for a long time. I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to get you to say something that isn't necessarily true, but is the Binghamton Arena the kind of the class right now of the FPHL? Yeah, no, one, one million percent. Um, <clears throat> you know, I haven't had a chance to check out all the, the new teams. Yeah. I've heard heard Baton Rouge has got a, a decent setup there. Columbus has a nice facility as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's the cream of the crop, and it's um, you know it's it's not a single A hockey facility. Right. Whether it's the ice, whether it's whether it's the stands, whether it's the amount of people that show up, uh, the amenities in our locker room, stuff like that. It's uh, it's top notch for sure. Um, and when you talk about league growth and, and, and the league making steps in a positive direction, right? When I came into the league, um, Elmira was the place to be. Yeah. And that's a former ECHL rink, and, and, and I love that rink. I played a lot of games there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nice barn for sure. But if you compare that to the rink in Binghamton, right, like you can tell wh- which one's superior, and that's not a knock on first arena at all. But no. uh, um just goes to show the league's made a lot of progress in, in a positive direction. Well, that's that's good to hear. Obviously, uh, I, I, I got to say, um, the first couple of years, you know, you weren't here, obviously, for the first season of the Binghamton Black Bears. I didn't think defensively they were a good team. Last year, I thought they had moments of being a better defensive team, but sometimes in this league, I think a, a really good offense makes for a good defense, and, I, and I've heard that said by coaches many, many times. If I have a good offense, my defense, it takes a break off of them. It, it relaxes them and allows them to play their game their right, the right way. However, I'm going to say this. The first three games of this season has been the best team defense that I've seen for the Black Bears in the three years that the Black Bears have been here. Obviously, you're an alternate captain, uh, so Brent Sherwood obviously believes in you and, and puts some you know trust in you and maybe some authority into you and everything. So would you agree that defensively this year, it seems like the whole team is playing better as a team defense mentality than even last year? Yeah, yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, you know, it's 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 not a surprise. Like where we lost some key pieces, right? Jake Schultz is a sure incredible hockey player that that moved up two leagues, um, and he deserved yeah, it. We have, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, we have. You know, right now we just have six six deep defensemen who are all they play the right way. Um, guys don't sacrifice defense in hopes of offense. And then we have a lot of guys up front that have just bought into, you know, the system that our coach has laid out for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and just not taking shortcuts is the biggest thing. And just just buying in and, and kind of doing the little things that, um, you know, 
to the eye up top in the stands, it might not be that noticeable, but are actually make a huge difference in terms of on, on a defensive level, like you said. You know, it's obviously important to have defenses that can move the puck, right? You got to move the puck forward, get it into the offensive zone, and let the offensive players kind of do their thing and everything. One of the things that when you have very good offensive defensemen is they pinch. They'll go in, and and they'll probably go in deep, and then someone might have to kind of swoop back and, and, and fill in their position as they move up. We saw that in Kyle Powell. We saw that in Cam Yarwood. They like to do that. To me, this year, this this team, the defensive core that you guys have right now, including Jesse Anderson, who doesn't know how to play defense. He literally is always trying to move that puck towards the net and everything, no matter what. But he's a really good player, very athletic and everything. But would you say that the core defensive team on this team are really good stay-at-home defensemen? Yeah, I, I, I would say for the most part, yes. But we also have a lot of it is just balance, right? Like yeah. if, if you can make a deep pairing that's equally balanced, like I, I love playing with, with Ando. Um, he's a really good skater and he can take the puck up ice all game and he knows I'm going to lock it down for him. Like I'm a D first guy. So that pairing <clears throat> works really well. And I think we kind of have that on all three D pairings right now. Um, Matt too is another guy that can get his wheels going and, and, and generate a lot of offense. Um, and just recognizing time and place and also having our forwards in the right spots to support us like when we do make those rushes and, and take those chances, if that's what you want to call them. So yeah. it just comes down to buying into the system and just supporting each other away from the puck. JT, uh, when Coach came to you and said, I'm going to put the A on you, what were your thoughts? What went through your head? Um, really excited, honestly. I mean, <clears throat> I... Um, I'm pretty lucky to be playing one more year. Um, I wasn't sure going into the off season if my body was going to kind of hold up and recover for me. Sure. So once we kind of crossed that bridge and realized that that was an opportunity, um, I was just really excited to come back. Obviously, it uh, it means a lot to know your your coach has faith in you, and um, we have a, a locker room full of like really really good guys that a lot of them could be deserving of of letters and um, our leadership group, I would say like really reaches outside of guys that have letters on their jerseys. Yeah. And uh, your thoughts on Tyson Kirkby, who I think is, you know, he's always got a smile on his face and it's just like, all right, so this is your captain, Mr. Smiley, but he is seriously one of the nicest guys. But one of the things that coach told me is that he goes, I can hold him accountable and it works. So, um, isn't it? What are your thoughts on Tyson Kirkby? Because again, he's always got a smile on his face. He always seems to be in a good mood. Yeah, he's the guy that's going to lead you guys. Yeah, I mean he's he's a, a damn good hockey player, and mm-hmm. he's an even better an even better human being. So you can't ask for much more than that. Um, and and uh, Coach Sherwood's right; like he can hold him accountable, and then. He's capable of, of holding the group accountable as well. So um, that's been um, a theme for us, right? There's no one that um, is bigger than the team or <clears throat> gets to take those shortcuts or really gets special treatment. And, yeah, that starts at the top, and Kirk's is a really, really good example of that.
All right, before I let you go, you guys have your first of, I think, four three games and three nights coming up. Thursday, you guys are going to be up in Elmira, so that's a nice slight drive uh, for you guys to go to Elmira. And then, of course, you guys have uh, Watertown at home, and then you head up to Watertown on Saturday. How do you guys prepare? Do you prepare any differently for three games and three nights versus whether it's just a regular Friday-Saturday type of deal? Um, The practice plans shift a little bit, right? Like a Wednesday practice. Sure. It's going to look a little bit more like a Thursday practice, of course. Um, and just taking care of your body. Like, you need to know going in that uh, you might need to do a couple extra things late in the evening after that Friday and Saturday, or sorry, that Thursday and Friday, just to make sure your body's ready to go the next day. But um, I, I, I love it, to be honest. It's fun. Yeah. Um, practice is great, but playing games is better. So I'm we're up for the challenge, and uh, it'll be a fun weekend. How important is it for you to have your family close by? You have a little one that you welcomed into the world last year. Um, you you kind of live up uh, with your partner's family up in Spencer and everything, which which I, I know is probably important to players because some of them have to be separated from their family when they play hockey and everything. How important is it to have that support system so close by? Yeah, it's everything. Um, I wouldn't. I couldn't and I wouldn't do it, you know, without them if I had to be um, away from them longer than I already am, like for those those road games and stuff like that. Um, I'm also really, really thankful and appreciative that Sarah um, supports me and lets me play and kind of holds down the fort when I'm not at home with uh, her and our daughter. So um, really blessed in that end. And, um, yeah, I've got a pretty, pretty good setup going on. I'm just trying to enjoy it while yeah. I can. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and one last question: Does your has your dad been to Binghamton yet for a game? Has he been able to to get out here? Uh, no, my dad has not been to Binghamton yet. Oh. Um, we'll see. Maybe that's something that could happen this season. Uh, I talked about it with my mom a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'd love to get them out. That'd be that'd be sweet. Well, we got to get the Walters, uh, mom and dad, out here. So we get we get some somehow we got to get that figured out. We got to get them out here to see a game and everything here in Binghamton, New York. Get them from San Diego out here. That would be very cool. JT, good luck this weekend. You guys got three games, three nights. It's really kind of like two weeknight games and a one weekend game. I I don't. It's who knows what Friday is. Friday people work and yet it's still part of the weekend. No one understands that. <laughs> but uh, good luck in, in these three games. Thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. It was great to get to know you and everything. Good luck this season, and I'll see you at the rink. All right. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. He is JT Walters, and we'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. you're a Binghamton hockey fan, then you need to check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your news, stats, information, the Binghamton Hockey Hall of Fame, top 10 lists, profiles, and so much more. That's BinghamtonHockey.net. You're listening to the Power Play Post Show. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. Great show, everybody. Thank you for listening. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, any comments you want to send, you know, you can message me on Facebook, uh, and you can definitely um, 
you know, just leave a message, obviously, on any one of these posts. If there's a player you want to hear me interview from the team that I haven't talked to yet, please let me know. I'll definitely be glad to do that. And just remember, the Power Play Post Show is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. So if there's another way you want me to display it, let me know. Just search Power Play Post Show on whichever platform you listen to your podcast and subscribe. Please join the Power Play Post Show Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search the Power Play Post Show and share any of your show posts to all your friends. Check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your Binghamton Hockey information and curiosity. I want to thank Rob Lapolis, our MC. John Petitucci for all for all of our music. He's our musical director. And, of course, our guest this week, Binghamton Black Bears defenseman and alternate captain, J.T. Walters. Thank you again for listening, everybody. This is the Power Play Post Show. I am Bob Howard. We'll talk to you next time. for listening to this edition of the Power Play Post Show. Be sure to tune in next week to the Box Studios Radio Network for all the latest Black Bears news and interviews from around minor league hockey. The Power Play Post Show would like to thank John Patitucci for all the music you hear on the show. You've been listening to the Power Play Post Show.